This is Fundraising Radio, episode number 24, and today is a guest speaker. We have Sergey Glebov, who is the partner of Flint Capital. And in this episode, we're going to talk about raising money from large venture funds like Flint Capital that manages about $100 million. We'll also talk about differences in early and later stage investing and about what you should do if you don't have any network in the startup field but still want to raise capital. So, Sergey, let's kick off by you giving us some background on yourself and on Flint Capital. Uh, sure. Just uh, thanks for inviting me. Um, I can I can start by a little bit of my background. Uh, originally, I'm from Russia, but I moved out of Russia a long, long time ago. I moved in 1990 to Israel. Uh, my first background actually is technical. I graduated computer science and done a lot of work at different startups uh, in software development operations, cybersecurity and stuff like that. I was employee number one at startup called Compugen, which is uh, one of the success stories of Israeli startups. You can find us in Startup Nation book. Uh, basically, it started in like uh technology incubator in the middle of desert got venture money we did ipo on nasdaq in 2000 uh, so uh, uh basically around 97 when we needed to open an office in the states uh i moved to the states to open our office and i stayed uh in boston area since then so i i live in yes for the last what 20 plus year uh, I've been part of a bunch of different startups since then, uh, some as more like VPR and the technical side, some as co-founder, uh, switched to the dark side, uh, went to MIT, did my business degree, started to do some angel investments, and I joined Flint about five years ago as partner in the US. Uh, uh, I'll so flint we are early stage venture fund we're on a second fund now uh, we are uh, a little bit different from most of venture funds because we run completely distributed structure we call it uh, there's new term now which uh, which says remote first basically running fund as remote first with three partners i'm based in boston uh, and our partner andrew based in silicon valley and the third partner is based in Europe. Uh, we also have an office in Israel with principal in Israel. And uh, we also have small office, which is more like a back office in Minsk. So we have a bunch of offices. We don't have a single office with more than two people in it. Uh, we do early stage uh, seed and A rounds. Uh, we look at different verticals we we do have both b2b and b2c companies in our portfolio most of the companies are b2b uh, but we do have a couple successful companies uh, like flow for example as b2c uh, we do digital health cyber uh, devops fintech voice technologies and basically one of our theses is, is because of this distributed structure we can really help companies who are coming from israel or europe to yes uh, to set up operation here help with whatever help they, they may need so if you look at our portfolio it's very geographically dispersed we have about 
about i would say 50 percent of our portfolio are israel-based company quarter is in europe and quarter is in us uh what's kind of in a nutshell about us Got it. yeah that's pretty descriptive you already answered some of the questions that i actually wanted to ask you but what i also was curious about is you said that you have uh so basically four offices right and therefore i was curious how, how large is your fund so the first fund was 100 million the second fund is also 100 million we uh we didn't finish the fundraising for the second fund but we we have more than half of the money and we operation we right now uh, already have six companies in the portfolio in the second fund uh, we have a seven in works we actually got one exit in the second fund so so basically both funds, uh, the plan is to do both funds, 100 million. Nice, nice. So both funds are operating right now? Yeah. Well, uh, the first one, uh, we still have pretty big portfolio. We got some exits, but uh, we don't invest from the first fund. Understood. We just do follow-ons. We invest now in this from the second fund. Understood, understood. And what's the average uh, check size that you, that you write? So we uh, we usually like uh, we do see the night rounds. Uh, usually the main check, which is three to four million dollar check, we put at a round, but we like to start at seed. So our quite typical investment is anywhere from half a million to million and a half at seed stage, and following on at a round three or four million check. And we also reserve about half of the fund for follow-on. So we usually try to follow on at least one or two rounds uh, to put a full product in. Understood. In many Understood. cases, we, we actually did it for more than two rounds. Nice. And how much money totally was that So for the company that you did more than two rounds? It all depends because uh, it all depends on the original check size. and But we in... Uh, if we really like the company, like in first fund, we have four companies, which are really each one of them uh, probably have a decent chance to return a big chunk of the fund, if not the whole fund. Uh, in all these companies, we already put in north of six or seven million. That's, uh, that's impressive numbers. So here, when you're saying like such big numbers, I was curious, you said earlier that you used to be an angel investor. Can you give us like the comparison between being an angel investor and being an actual venture capitalist? Um, so it's a, it's a different mindset because when you're putting your own money and in, in some sense, when we invest from a fund, we're also investing our own money because uh, GP we have gp commitment in our fund so some of this uh, mm -hmm. some of the money in the fund is our own money but when when you invest as an angel uh so there are there are a bunch of dif uh, differences there one from the motivation point of view as an angel you're fairly happy if you get uh two free x return um uh, from your investment uh you're a happy man if you invest in VC because of the way the, uh, the whole thing structured, usually as VC, you're looking for much bigger returns. 
you're willing to take bigger risks maybe in some uh, in some cases put bigger checks but you're looking for at least you try to see potential for like 10x return uh so because of that when you're investing as an angel you're okay with really small exits like you invested in a company at 3 million valuation and somebody bought a company and 10 million you're happy uh if you invest as we see usually you try you want this company to get much much bigger but from one side from another side uh when i started to invest in vc i basically understood what i just had no chance to uh, to do the same type of due diligence to do the same type of research i'm doing now uh, when i was doing my angel investments so uh, when you invest as an angel you don't have a team uh, you can decide on a spot pretty much you're usually you're writing pretty small checks but you also you you just have no capacity to do the real due diligence and it's very hard to build your a good pipeline in case if you're an angel so it's uh, it's a different ball game basically um, right right yeah i've heard some some of the similar concerns about that angel investors usually invest from their guts and their guts are often wrong <laughs> so yeah that works and another side note uh sergey you said gp commitment for people who don't know what that means that's a general partner commitment um yeah. And that means that you have to, to be a general partner, you have to have at least 1% of your own money in the fund. That's just a side note for people who might not know that. Um, and let's move on to the next question. I wanted to ask you about something positive now. Last episode, we had plenty of negativity. So here I wanted to cover that up with positive stuff. Can you tell us a little bit more about the last exit that you had? So you said you already had one exit with your current fund, right? Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, yeah. Uh, the company called Loom Systems, we, I, I led, uh, yeah, one, one, one thing by the way, uh, a little bit about Flint, we're fairly active. So we, uh, there are different funds, different uh, strategies. So some funds usually like to join rounds some funds are willing to lead rounds we are fairly active we lead rounds uh we sit on the boards we uh, i would say for example in the second fund out of like six investments we did four we led rounds and we're on a board uh the seven one will be the same so in case of loom uh we led round in october uh, I think it was end of September, beginning of October. It's uh, it's a very cool Israeli company uh, in space called AIOps. Basically, they, uh, they look at all your logs, apply AI to these logs, and they can understand uh, where you may have problems with operations, uh, which servers may fail, they help you to do prediction. They know how to correlate logs from different sources. So sometimes in order to figure out the, uh, what's wrong, uh, you need to actually correlate different logs from different systems. Uh, 
Soviet duvet. Uh, we led the round. Uh, it was supposed to be like 10, uh, 10 million round. Uh, we led it in October, but in December, service now came and they basically made an offer. Uh, uh, which was too good to pass on. So they bought a company, the deal closed in end of January. So basically, uh, we did several X in three months, which was uh, pretty good. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty, pretty good investment. Did you actually plan it or was it quite an accident that you got this offer this fast? Uh, no, it wasn't planned. We were, and actually, when when we got an offer, uh, when we got a LOI from ServiceNow, I said to founders, "What I'm happy to to pass on this LOI and try to build bigger company." Uh, so we 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 really like the company. One thing about this company also, it was kind of very close to my heart in a sense. What I when they started to explain explaining me what we were doing, I said, oh, it sounds really cool because I've done very similar things without AI back in like around 2004 when I was running operations at VWOX, one of the companies I was part of the founding team, and I was responsible there for operations. So I had to build a very complicated system, which was highly available for voice communications and kind of. I understood exactly what we were doing and the value behind the product. So I I did believe we we could build a big company out of Loom Systems, but uh, things when we didn't try to sell the company, but when you have a buyer who is very aggressive, who really want to buy the company, willing to pay premium for that, and founders want to sell. I kind of, as a rule of thumb, I never, uh, never will go against founders if they want to exit the company and it's a decent exit. I would never say them, no, no, you can't sell the company. I can try to kind of convince them and be behind them, but uh, I'm not going to kind of refuse signing the sale of the company if founders want to sell. God, that sounds really, really reasonable not fighting with the founders. Uh, and here is my uh, question for that on more of a legal side. Could you actually prevent them from selling the company? So for example, if you felt that this is a really bad acquisition, could you say, no, I, uh, I'm not letting you do that? Well, legally you can. I mean, legally we can sell if we bore, for example, in order to sign the term sheet, even we need approval of the board, right? So right. if you have a board, with three investors and two founders, for example, uh, you can just vote no. You also, in uh, in many cases, you also have all kind of veto power. So there, there are a bunch of legal ways. Besides, you have to sign the documents at the end. So there are many legal ways you can prevent them to, to sell the company. Now, uh, as I said, uh, I would never go against founders' wishes, in, in, especially in cases like this, because it just doesn't make sense. I mean, if the founders really want to sell, and frankly, it was a good outcome for everybody. It was right. a good outcome for, for investors. It was 
very good outcome for founders. So why not? Uh, even if you believe the potential of the company to be much higher, but like it's kind of their call. So there, there's there are a lot of things uh, in like whole company or board governance where you have a power to do something, but you frankly never use this power. Right. I'm sitting on many boards. I'm sitting now on like seven boards and I was on many more boards. And in five years I'm doing that. I don't remember a single case when it actually came to the what on a board level, what, who, what's what. Usually uh, what you have is you kind of build consensus and then formally you pass the what. Right. So legally, in many cases, you can do a lot of different stuff, but Right, you, you just never know. never use it this power yeah this is exactly why everyone repeats choose investor wisely because once you, you you find a bad investor and he will be willing to use his power he might he might really make your life hard oh, um yeah. no, no. and i i've been in situation when uh i was uh, i was an investor on the board but kind of other investors were much less founder friendly, so I end up on some issues on the side of the founder. So you, yeah, you want you want you want to make sure you do your diligence on investors and you know who you're dealing with, and you need to choose the right investors for you. That's that's way more important. That's one of the things founders don't understand sometimes. What uh, there is a lot of stuff which is way more important when money when you're choosing your investor. Right. Yeah. Uh, what what's can you give us some of this stuff that they should look at besides money? Well, the biggest problem is always the unknown unknown. So you don't know what what problems you will have in your company. Uh, one thing. Think about it this way. Uh, an average marriage in US, as far as I know, is somewhere around like six or seven years, right? Uh, when you're talking about early stage investors, somebody who invests at or A stage, usually it means they're going to be with you for at least six to eight years. Mm -hmm. Uh, especially if it's an active investor, it's if it's an investor who leads the deal, it also means what he may be your board member for the next uh, six, seven, eight years. Uh, so give or take, it may be longer than marriage. <laughs> <laughs> right. But this way, and you don't, it's very hard to predict what what's going to be uh, happening in a company. Uh, so you don't know what situations you're going to be in, what problems you'll have. So you need to make sure what whoever is your investor, you're on the same page in terms of what's your company vision. You're comfortable with him uh, for all these years. Uh, you want to kind of to know how this investor behaves, if shit happens, if you don't make a quarter or two, uh, what happens if you have to raise like bridge round to get you to a little bit extend your runway to get to the next round. 
so you need you need to make sure the investor is somebody you want to work with you so uh, to work with so what i usually suggest to people is make sure you learn as much as you can about these investors get references mm -hmm. uh, talk to our ceos who he's invested i mean i i do a lot of investments in israel uh since i'm the only uh, one out of three of us who speaks hebrew i'm usually dealing with most of our israeli portfolio and israel is a little bit different than us in a sense what in israel it's one degree of separation like in the us usually you can find some common uh, people with anybody in high tech but it's not always the case in israel i can find common friends with pretty much everybody in israeli high tech so <laughs> the way it works in israel nobody asks for references everybody is usually just able to find uh, their own references uh the other side of this coin you have no idea who is going to be giving references on you it's pretty common when i meet with founders what in a couple of days afterwards one of my current founders would write me on whatsapp and say oh do you know these guys because they were asking about you uh and that's usually the way it's done in Israel. So you really, there's no kind of, there's no point of lying how you behave on board right. because everybody will know it anyway. Uh, so you build your reputation as we see, and then if your reputation is good, the founders will find it out. Right. Yeah. That's, I really like that about 21st century, the transparency. No one really can hide anything now. And this is this is great. Um, so let's talk about more early stage founders, let's say so. Um, what should people who are not currently at your level, so who are not at C or Series A stage do? So what's the first step of them going out for you, uh, going out for money? What would you recommend? You mean at like really early stage, we press it kind of the first step? Yeah, let's do like the first first step when they're like, okay, now I'm really out of money. I cannot bootstrap any longer, but I have some traction, some sort of product. What should I do? So usually at this stage, you're looking for... I mean, I don't really like the whole notion of seed, pre-seed, A-rounds, because it's frankly, it's like, it's pretty arbitrary. I've seen seven million seed rounds and i've seen seven million b rounds so right. but usually uh usually the first round in a company uh, let's say you're you're trying to raise the first couple hundred k yeah. uh, to be like first prototype or mvp or whatever you call it uh, and that's usually angel money so you're usually looking for like what's called triple f friends fools and family somebody you know somebody who at least regularly know you who is willing to chip in some small relatively small money uh to get company to a stage when you can start talking to like uh more professional investors right so uh and it, it all depends on your network because for some people 
the network is good enough so we can raise a couple million dollars in a couple days. And some people just don't know anybody who has this type of money. So they have to go and actually meet with tens of people and convince at least somebody to put in a check. Uh, usually it all depends on investors you can get to. If they are more professional, if they, the angels who can add value, then uh, they are the best angels you can get. If and then you don't need to worry that much about some strange conditions or giving them at least some of the control. If the money is uh, fairly dumb, if it's like, I don't know, your relative who made some money in real <laughs> estate and we, uh, or your dentist, <laughs> you need to make sure that you don't give them any kind of control power or whatever. Uh, so you kind of you need to make sure what you choose the right vehicle for this investment usually people are doing it either on convertible note or safes uh, but it's basically in, in a nutshell it's it's very similar approach to the one you're doing when you're raising your first institutional round it's just much less rigid much less uh, organized because most of these people are writing their own checks. So, uh, as I said, the difference between Angel and VC is what Angel in some cases can write the check on the first meeting. VC probably will take their time, learn about the company. You need to talk to different people in, in a fund. Uh, so the process takes time. Right. Yeah. That's a that's a very reasonable advice on uh, giving on watching who you give control to. I think that's pretty important. Some people tend to ignore that, and some people tend to over focus on that and fight on every piece of term shit. Um, so the next question uh, is going to be about you getting your deals from. So where do you usually get your deals from? Uh, how many how how do you founders usually approach you? Is it through mutual connections, introductions, stuff like that, or? Yeah, uh, yeah. so the best way to approach VC is uh, through warm introduction. Uh, I mean, sending cold emails almost never work. Right. Uh, I kind of, I try to answer emails if, if they're at least like health intelligent. If you send me the email, which I see it's kind of canned email, uh, I know this is like great fit for your fund. And then I get some medical device, which obviously is not even close to being a good fit. <laughs> email like that, I probably wouldn't answer. Email, which is relevant, I try to answer, uh, which is probably an exception for VC because most, sure. most people, they wouldn't answer email un unless they interested. But even though I try to answer, uh, in most of the cases, I'll do it when I have time, which may happen in a couple of weeks. Right, yeah. Uh, when I'm on a plane. I usually like, I, I fly a lot, so I usually, uh, when I'm on long flight, uh, I purposely never buy internet on a plane uh, to have my computer offline. And then I usually clean up my email box and answer all my emails, which I was supposed <laughs> to answer a long time ago and things like that. But frankly, uh, 
uh, when I thinking about all our last deals, I don't think single one of them came through the cold kind of email. I think all of them came through some connections one way or another. Uh, so the, uh, so most of them are referrals by our existing founders. A lot of this coming from our network. So again, especially for me, uh, I I source a lot of deals in Israel, and in Israel it's very very connected society. So uh, people understand what we shouldn't approach uh, to cold email, and frankly. If somebody in Israel approached me to call email, it raises bigger question: Why the hell are you not looking for somebody who can connect us? <laughs> uh, so in Israel, most of the deals are coming through founders of our existing companies. It's people we worked with, we served in the army with, and we just kind of uh, send an intro, and that's how it starts. Uh, sometimes we would find some interesting company with outreach. If there is some space which is particularly interesting to us and we'll look at this space and from time to time we'll find some interesting startup in it. Uh, we see a lot, we like see a lot of startups. And frankly, uh, like I, uh, I've heard from many people what we don't, we really hate it what we see so not answering, but we think you need to understand uh, most of these people are way overloaded. True. I look uh, like last time I looked at our CRM system, I looked at plus or minus about 1,000 startups a year. Okay. Uh, now, this is about 1,000 startups a year which end up in CRM. If it's something which I read an email and understand it's not relevant, uh then i don't even put it in crm so it means what probably like in total we get i get uh, at least like close to 2000 different startups a year right so uh there's no possibility to answer all of these requests yeah so yeah. usually usually uh the ones uh, the ones which which comes from founders I always, I, I will always answer, even if it's not relevant. I will always try to explain why it's not relevant to us. Or I, I, in general, I try to say, uh, to give to people feedback if we pass on this opportunity, why we pass on this opportunity. But again, it's like, it's all kind of time permitting. Uh, so usually you kind of prioritize your first priority is to the companies where you sit on a board with existing kind of portfolio companies and you, if they need something, you would, will drop everything and we'll start working with them. Uh, then mm -hmm. there are companies you kind of, uh, at any given point in time, you usually have three, four, five, six companies you actually actively involved with due diligence and kind of uh, looking deeper and all of this stuff. So uh, if it's something which is less interesting and you know you're not going to invest, you, you just try to answer quickly, but sometimes it kind of delays. But the connection, uh, you always try need to try to approach uh, we see uh, through the connection 
and then also you want to uh, when you when you want to approach vc you want to try to find the best connection to him now best connection uh is always one of his founders uh and our way to approach vc is through your investors so for example if you have good angel investors we probably already have portfolio companies who raised next rounds from some mm -hmm. vc so we already know we see uh connection from another investor sometimes is good sometimes is not so good because uh, let's say some other vc who is also investing in a rounds send me the intro to founder and say yeah this is such and such and he is raising the ne uh, next round uh the first question i would ask why are you not investing and right. if it's vc which in the same space it will <laughs> kind of raise a red flag yeah uh if it's just somebody who i know and regularly member who is making an intro Obviously, I'm not going to pay as much attention as uh, uh, as one of my founders who is doing an intro. So, so when when you try to approach VC, make sure you you find the best connection uh, to do an intro, and also make sure you do your homework. Make sure you learn as much as possible about particular investor because uh, when you see an email you guess very quickly if they actually know anything about you or we just kind of cut and paste their standard email <laughs> to everybody right uh, that's so, kind of a little bit in a nutshell yeah yeah i think you said a lot of great things here and i would ask you basically the last question and we'll wrap it up uh, actually, no, two last questions, my bad. First question would be, uh, so you said a lot of things about network and uh, how the best way to approach investors and you specifically is through common connections, through founders. So let's say if someone who just starts his or her career path in startup world, what's their way of starting to build this network when they, they're basically not worth anything? How do they start building this? make sure you build this network in advanced right in advance uh, when you need to raise your round it's a little bit too late to start building this network <laughs> so you want to make sure you and you you just you meet people you add them on linkedin nowadays uh i mean 20 years ago it was way way harder because you needed to find the right email and you had no idea who may introduce you today's with facebook and linkedin it's very easy to figure out uh, all your common connections who can introduce you to somebody in in particular form so you want to build this network basically you can even go to events meet with people add them on linkedin obviously you try to build meaningful connections because if it's somebody who you saw at some meetup two years ago and edit them on LinkedIn, <laughs> ah, they may not remember you. Absolutely not. Somebody who, yeah, if it's somebody who you talk to several times, you maybe uh, ask him about something, maybe he asked you about something because you have specific expertise which he was interested in, 
yeah, that's that's much more meaningful connection, and that connection will work way better uh, when you will need these introductions. So yeah, just build the network and kind of basically, if you want to be in this business, just always network and always try to build a bigger network and more meaningful network. Right. And actually, speaking of that, I would like to notice uh, to note one pretty cool tool called NFX.com. And it's uh, something like a, not quite sure how to call it, but it's basically a site where you can connect to investors and angel investors. And those connections give you intro paths to connections of those investors. So it's pretty. Yeah, so the site is called actually Signal. Signal, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> right. FNX, I think it's their investor, right? Yeah, it's it's uh, NFX, it's Gigi Levy, and I, I know these guys quite well. We right, yeah. The, the, I, see, stuff confused up in my head. It's all mixed yeah. up now. <laughs> it, it's, it's useful. You still want to... Uh, the problem with with Signal, it it kind of it knows who you email to, and that's how it maps your connections. But it doesn't give you the ability. It doesn't know how how good is your connection is to somebody, right. right? Yeah. So you still need to do your homework. You still need to figure out who is the right person to introduce you to somebody. Uh, and it's it's a little bit of like investigative work basically the way you do it you want to let's say you want to be introduced to sergey and you go on linkedin and you see 20 different connections to sergey right mm -hmm. so you have to go each one of them and kind of look it up and kind of figure out okay who out of these people can be somebody who who knows sergey quite well and he will take this introduction because in, in many cases also expected to be uh, kind of uh, double acknowledgement type of introduction. So you will ask uh, somebody to introduce you instead of just sending you intro email. In many cases, people first will ask, do you want, do you want this guy to be introduced to you? Right. Both yeah. sides. And again if it's somebody who is who i know and respect i'll probably tell yeah i trust you wouldn't introduce me to anybody who is not worth it so yeah sure send an intro but if it's somebody who i don't even remember where we met <laughs> i might just ignore it right yeah absolutely so speaking of that last question and then we'll wrap it up uh what's You've said uh, multiple times that you're focusing on uh, high tech. Can you be more specific on what scope you are? So maybe some people who are listening to this episode right now will not even spend time looking up, uh, doing their homework and searching up what you do if it's not quite a fit. So, so first in general, uh, the way you want to approach it, uh, as I said, you do your homework. So you need to go on the website of this fund, look at their portfolio, and that gives you pretty good picture of what we like to invest, right? Uh, so in our case, uh, we do, as I said, we do both B2C and B2B. Mm -hmm. uh, 
uh, we like digital uh, health, cyber, DevOps, fintech, voice tech. We're fairly broad in terms of like segments. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say what every single company we invested lately is very heavily based on AI. I just hate to say we invest in AI because it <laughs> doesn't mean anything. AI is technology. Yeah, we don't invest in AI, we invest in products. And yeah, I kind of expect what in today's world you use AI in your technology stack. Uh, so we, we're fairly generic. We don't have very, very strict mandate. We can invest in pretty much everything we can understand. We, we're all operators in the past, so we tend to be fairly technical. So if we can, if, if we looking at the company, we're going to take a look under the hood. We're going to understand, un- at least try to understand technology, which also means what we probably wouldn't invest in technology, which we can't understand really. Uh, so very heavily, like we wouldn't invest in uh, biotech, right? We yeah. Probably wouldn't invest in anything which require FDA approval because we don't understand totally. the process. Yeah, we don't like devices that much for various of different reasons. Uh, it's capital intensive. Mm-hmm. Again, we don't understand enough about uh, hardware space. It doesn't mean it's a bad investment. It just means what it's not the right fit for us. When we invest, we also want to understand since we are active investors so we want to understand how we can add value uh, besides the money money is like everybody money is kind of ultimate commodity right it's all green so <laughs> like it doesn't really matter who you get it from as long as it's like clean and like have no problems uh, but we usually uh, when we usually invest if we are, we if we're active we, we want to add value now we're not gonna we don't want to be kind of obnoxious and kind of try to add value where we can't add value but we want to to understand where we can help so something we don't understand there is not much we can help with so in general pretty much anything within the realm of we like SaaS we like uh usually when we invest we want to see the company which is doing something unique enough uh so we want to understand how we're going to build the defendable competitive advantage if it's just company number 30 in in the same segment it's probably not interesting enough for us but i would say Anything which kind of roughly fit in these criteria, happy to take a look. All right. I hope that there will be no one from this podcast coming to you and asking for and writing you a cold email, but no guarantees here. (laughs) It's very easy to find me. I'm on every single social network and my email is easy to find. But yeah, yeah. Let's put it this way. If you write me an email, uh, it's good to mention where you get it from. And I'll try to answer even if it's a cold email. 
but in many cases it's much much better to actually try to get through connection right yeah i hope none of the listeners who heard this podcast will write a single extra cold email to an investor uh but we'll wrap it up here i think the episode went just great i absolutely loved it hope that everyone else loved it as well I think tons of useful information here, really great advice on how to build your network. And it's like right on point. Thanks for fixing me on the signal part because I would guide people to nfx.com, not signal. Uh, oh, I'm yeah. sure they have a link. It's okay. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's true too. But signal guys, signal. All right, thanks a lot, Sergey, for coming up, for sharing your experience and information and have a great day. Thank you, and well, uh, you are welcome, and it's been fun. Thanks, thanks. Happy to hear Bye. that. Bye. Yeah. You really thought it's the end of the episode? Nope, not yet. In these uncertain times, when a weird virus is spinning out of control, and investors are trying to figure out where to put their money and not to lose it all, I have an answer. Invest in human capital. I will be among the first 10 people to participate in something called human IPO. So shortly about how it works. You can buy futures on my time now when it costs just $100 per hour. And when I become Mark Zuckerberg 2.0 and my time is worth uh, $1,000 per hour, you can sell it or redeem it, either making 10x return or bringing me to your firm as an advisor or speaker for a few hours. My offering is not live yet, so now you can only subscribe to my updates. But please do so and become the first one to buy my time when my offering goes live. To sum it up, in dark days, buy time, not toilet paper, and your money won't be flushed into the toilet. I'll leave a link to my profile on Human IPO in the description of this episode, and thanks again for listening to Fundraising Radio.